Hello once again, and welcome to Scry. I am the Seer, your medium through these terrifying true tales, and host into the glimpses of the obsidian mirror. But enough for introductions. You want a story, so a story I shall give you. Shared by absent-minded, we journey into a ghostly encounter with ties to a newly found Native American burial mound. I have many a story. Even though I grew up in suburbia and the city, I spent a decent amount of my youth camping in both upstate New York and slogging it through the Everglades and areas of North and Central Florida. I'll start with one that remains with me to this day, some 20 years later. My end of the year field trip in eighth grade was up to the Peace River for three days of camping, canoeing, and artifact sifting in the Peace River. The latter, I believe, is the catalyst for my experience. Most of you know that Florida is rife with Native American history. The Peace River was an important source of water for tribes. The week prior to my trip, it had rained substantially, even by Florida standards. While sifting for fossilized manatee bones and shark teeth, our class started coming up with native clay beads, pottery shards, and arrowheads. It seems there was a previously undiscovered mound that the recent storms had unearthed and sent smaller items into the river. There were no warnings not to take anything home with us, so we gleefully took our unexpected and really cool finds back to camp. That night, after the requisite campfire stories and s'mores, we went to our tents, exhausted from the several mile canoe trip and the excitement of finding a new burial mound, ready to pass out. And we did. All night, I kept being woken up by someone whispering in my ear, only to wake up and find my two tentmates sound asleep. The whispering was as if someone were two inches from my ear, and at one point, I felt the pressure of someone placing a hand upon my shoulder. It was unintelligible what was said. After the third or fourth time, I was really annoyed, and nature called. It was midwinter, and growing up in southern Florida, it was really cold. And I didn't want to get out of my warm sleeping bag, but, you know. So, I grudgingly got my shoes on, and tried to wake one of the two to come with me, to no avail. The camp was completely silent. Only some breaths and muffled snores from the tents, but no strange feelings, yet. We were away off from the campground and I had to make a five to 10 minute walk to the outhouse. 
I could hear the groans of alligators and see their eyes reflected menacingly when I crossed the wooden bridge on the path to get to the main camp with the RVs. Everything went fine until I crossed that bridge on my return trip. As I was stepping off into land, the gators started making strange sounds and there was thrashing. I looked back and they were leaving. After the thrashing subsided and the water became still, I got that feeling. A slight fog was now in our camp, but kinda offset and not complete as normal fog would be. It was definitely concentrated in one small area, with my tent near ground zero. The air felt even colder, and there were no sounds from the trees that were chock full of turkey vultures. Only the sleeping sounds of my classmates and an odd, pulsing, heartbeat-like sound. It wasn't mine, as if as it was just off from my heartbeat. I heard a murmuring sound that I couldn't process, and then a few soft pops. I whipped my light over to see what looked like two Native Americans made of the fog, standing near a tent with a trail of fog not quite formed into more than a blob, going through one of the tents on the boys' side. They didn't react to my flashlight at all. The blob moved further into the tent through its wall, but I assumed that would have happened with or without my light as the men standing didn't appear to react. It felt like time stood still as I tried to make sense of what I was seeing. I do recall that they were very detailed, yet less dense by the head than the feet. And their calves to feet were off as it stemmed from the strange fog. What brought me back into motion was something grabbing my pant leg, and before I could scream, I saw it was a parent volunteer. She put her finger to her mouth to say quiet, and I got down and into the tent with her. She asked me if I saw it too. I'm not sure what happened next, but I know it was real as I woke up in her tent. Sadly, nothing more was said about it, only a few glances between me and the mom. I am sure the others took their finds home, but I dug a hole where the tents were after we broke camp and buried my find of glazed Cheerio-shaped beads so they would stay where they belonged. After our trip, my teacher received a letter from the University of Florida thanking our class in assisting to locate an unknown burial mound. There was something unique to it anthropologically, but the details are lost to my memory. I hope it was preserved enough that those Indians can rest in peace.
absinthe-minded. Thank you for sharing that tale with the world. Your experience holds a particular interest to me, but I'll touch on that later. As for now, we're going to go just a bit north of Florida to South Carolina for our next tale. Shared by Troublesome, here is his encounter with something from the past, calling out to him one night. I grew up in a town in South Carolina along the Conagri River in Columbia. Along the river, after the Gervais Street Bridge, there is a set of old locks called the Granby Locks. Along the trail we used as kids to get there, you passed an old cemetery, the remains of obviously old houses, etc., etc. The cemetery has Revolutionary War, Civil War, and other graves dating back to the family that founded the city. There is an old marker noting that General George Washington visited the Granby family for their contributions to the war. Well, as time went by, the cemetery went unkempt and the gravestones had fallen over. One summer, the city came through and cleaned the place up pretty good. They weeded the place and mowed the grass around it. I even made charcoal markings out of some of the graves. Well, during that summer, we would go swimming and jump off the locks into the Canagri and other swimming holes along the river. But the only way back was to either walk through brush or to walk that old trail with that freshly cleaned, creepy graveyard. One night, after fishing late alone, I walked home with my tackle box and pole and an old Jansport backpack that I took down the trail. It was only a little over a mile or so long from where I had been fishing and it basically ended 50 yards from my house. I'd done it hundreds of times before, so I wasn't particularly worried about anything. Well, as I walked past the locks and beside the graveyard, nervousness and panic just overtook my body and mind. I was paralyzed. I couldn't move, think, or even breathe, it seemed. All I could do was hear. I heard babies crying. Not just one, multiple babies. I don't know how long I was standing there. Seconds, minutes, hours. I don't know. As soon as I snapped to, I was standing underneath a doctor, putting all these things on my head. My dad says this is what had happened. He was under the carport changing the oil in an old Chevy of his. He heard me coming through the woods like a bat out of hell and got up from under the car to see what the hell was wrong with me. He said I was white as a ghost and couldn't put a proper sentence together to save my life. 
He said I was just bumbling garbage and wouldn't stop pacing around. He went and got my mother and she insisted I must have fallen and gotten a concussion. The doctor said there were no signs of a fall, no trauma to the head or anything. I go home two days later, good as new. Years later in college, I hear that during the slavery days, some kook who lived along the river, along that trail, would often discard unwanted slave babies into the outhouses where they would drown and die. When told of that, I relayed the story to my professor, and he said I wasn't the first one that had told him about hearing crying babies along that part of the river. I haven't been back since. Now, I believe the Casey West Columbia River Walk runs along beside this same cemetery. It creeps me out just sending this. Troublesome, thank you for sharing that story with us. It certainly touches on the terrifying and evil misdeeds of the past. I would like to think that the crying that you and others have reported were of a residual nature. But for that, we could only pray. When we return, we'll travel to Iraq, where one soldier sees something unusual. But first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Scry. Our third story of the episode takes us to Iraq, where we revisit Blue Ridge, who shares with us another of his experiences from the land of ancient Babylon. Here is his tale. I was deployed to Kirkuk, Iraq. I was on this shitty-ass airfield at the time, early in the war. Kirkuk Airfield was like Texas if a nuclear bomb went off on it. Sandy, open spaces of desert with weeds and dead trees growing all over it, and the buildings were war-torn and blown out. From what I was told when I first got off the C-130 was when the war first kicked off, Some rangers seized the airfield with minimal resistance and pressed on after command was passed to the occupying command. I was coming in to relieve those troops after their initial base buildup. Kirkuk is also home to where Chemical Alley had his mansion up in the mountains, and numerous underground bunkers were on the base, which were said to be some of his chemical labs. The whole region is also known to be where Saddam gassed the Kurds back in the 80s. The building my squadron occupies was this old communications building near the runway. Its general layout was that of an X, similar in design and looks to a nursing home. 
In the middle of the X was a large open area, and on each wing of the X was offices and rooms that we turned into living quarters. If you can imagine an abandoned, war-torn nursing home that was surrounded by Hesco bastions or barriers for our splinter protection as we were under constant mortar and rocket attacks several times a day, that was our building that we conducted our operations out of. Between two of the wings, we put out a small tent to be our mess hall. My unit was pretty small, about 30 of us. So the tent was small enough to sit and feed us all, as we were on the opposite side of the runway from the chow hall that we had to pick up meals in plastic storage containers and eat them in the tent, because our job required us not to leave our post unless relieved, as we worked a 48-24 schedule if you were on alert. We had some refrigeration units connected inside the tent for sodas, juice, and rippets. It was common for us to frequent the area for snacks from time to time. One night, before bed, I decided to grab a snack from our meal tent. I left my room on one of the adjoining wings and walked toward the center of the X, to where we now put our gym. Upon exiting a door from the center of our building, our gym, the meal tent, was about 20 feet away down a sandy walking path once you open the door from the gym slash center of the building. So you'd open the door to leave the building and to the left and right of you were HESCO barriers a few feet off the walls of the buildings. Then you'd walk 20 feet ahead to get to the meal tent which was surrounded by jersey walls. As I entered the meal tent, I grabbed a drink before bed sat down at the table and listened to the radio for a few moments when the lights began to flicker. It's Iraq, so this didn't catch me as odd at the time until the lights completely shut off on me as I sat there. The odd thing was the radio kept playing that we had in the meal tent, which wasn't battery-powered. I can remember it as crystal clear. There I am, sitting in the dark now, and the bass and drum beat from Seven Nation Army from the White Stripes is playing over the radio. And just as the part of the song where it goes into full swing, the lights flicker back on. I immediately get up thinking one of my buddies pulled the power plug on me to the lighting system on the tent. So I get up and I open up the tent door to investigate. Clear as day, 15 feet in front of me, a large black shadow figure emerges behind one of the Hesco barriers to the left of the doorway that leads back inside, walks past the doorway, and I can see his arms swinging as he walks. His head turns to look at me, but there were no facial features at all. But it was a clear head turn. And then he goes back behind the other Hesco barrier to the right of the doorway that continues on the length of the building, all without pausing.
I immediately draw my knife as I'm thinking our site has been infiltrated. I slowly approach toward the door as I know whoever just walked past the door is now trapped between the building and 100 feet of HESCO barriers that run the length of our building. As I approach it, I present myself around the corner. I am able to stare all the way down the length of the building between the HESCO barriers, with nothing there. Right then, I went back inside and I walked down one of the wings to talk to CQ. I tell them exactly what happened and that we need a team to search for this guy. They all laugh at me. The guys that ran CQ were leaving in a few days to end their tour as we were their replacements. I asked them what's so funny. They said our compound hasn't been compromised. That's just one of the ghosts that haunt our building. They went on to elaborate that I'm about the dozenth guy that has had a sighting of a shadow person since they arrived months earlier, and they've had dozens of other experiences reported of doors slamming, voices coming from empty rooms, and other typical paranormal activity. Without me even mentioning it, they said every time there has been a sighting of a shadow person at our compound, the lights will flicker and shut off for a few seconds, then turn back on again. They then asked me if this happened to me. They then said that when the rangers handed over the building to us, the room right next to the chow tent, where I saw this figure emerge from, was a pile of decapitated bodies the rangers initially found when they seized the airfield. Blue Ridge, you certainly have had some spooky tales in your wartime service. For those of you curious about his other tales, check out episode 14. Thank you for sharing your encounters with everyone, Blue Ridge. Our next tale loops back to our first, in which we encounter another experience with burial mounds. Shared to us by MillerLight82, here is his tale. In northeast Iowa is Effigy Mounds National Site. The area is surrounded by state and national forest, with lots of cool trails along the ridges and river valleys, and we used to spend lots of time up there. Even off the national site, there are lots of mounds and other native stuff found. We found a nice spot to camp after a long and hard day of orienteering and teaching a few of the noobs in our group how to read a topographical map and use a compass. We were around the area that we had decided to camp and were sitting around talking about the plan for the next day and how far we had to go as well as how rough it was going to be. From a good distance, we started to hear what sounded like some drum beats. 
and low chanting, and dim lights from the creek below. And it looked like they were headed up towards the National Monument area. We saw them slowly loop up the ridge, and how the land was set, they would come near us, around 25 to 40 yards, due to how that ridge met on top with the one we were on. We sat there with our mouths open, wondering what the fuck we were seeing, and wondered if there was some special event at the mound site that was going on, and we were seeing actors. All that we could see was shadows and light that looked like they were pitch torches winding around the ridge and heard the chanting. Then, all at once, it went out and the usual night sounds came back. A day later, when we were done, we stopped by the National Monument and talked to one of the rangers on staff and asked him if they had an event going on. He laughed and said no. But we weren't the first person to report something like we saw that night, as others have seen or heard the same things. Was it a Native American funeral or a medicine man ceremony trapped in time that was being replayed? I don't know, but it will live with me and the friends that were there for the rest of our lives. I've camped in that area a number of times after that, and I never saw anything again. Thank you, MillerLite82, for sharing that encounter with us. I mentioned after our first tale that I have an interest in burial mounds, and the reason for that is that I'm surrounded by both burial mounds and places where they have sadly been destroyed. I hold degrees in history and actually wrote my thesis on the Mississippian trade routes and the religious influence that they would spread along these routes. So you could say that America's past mound building cultures are of severe interest to me and have been an area that I have studied intensely. So coming across stories like these two just grabbed me right away. I would like to thank everyone who shared their stories with us for this episode, and would like to remind you that all stories on Scry are purported to be true. Some of the music that appears in this episode appears courtesy of Mew through a Creative Commons license. Check out the show notes where you can check out more of his killer work. Before we leave, I'd like to give our podcast recommendation for this episode. Our True Crime Podcast hosted by two wonderful ladies who do fantastic research. Their series on Ken McElroy was exceptionally good, so be sure to check them out. But for now, it's time to banish all things dark beyond the veil, and once again, close the gate. And as always, say goodbye. This is Scry.